Hello. How's everyone feeling? This has been an interesting week here in Toronto because it really has felt like spring. And when you're going through fertility, I feel the weather is just such a huge part of the experience. At least it is for me. Like I, in the summer, when it's beautiful and nice and you're going through fertility, it's almost like you have a resentment towards it. Um, But at the same time, it like gives you so much life and like just being in the sun can energize you. Uh, and then I'm like, in the winter, there's times where uh, I love the hibernation of it all. And fertility feels easier because you're not as social. Or like if you're having a shitty day, the weather just seems to match your mood. And so you can hibernate without feeling any guilt. And then when spring comes, I don't know, for me, with this is my fourth spring, like there's that hope that it comes with that like refreshing feeling. And it's in the middle of February and we've really had a few days here of spring. I mean, side note, global warming is insane and this feels so wrong, but there's like that moment just of, of, of hope and glimpse that summer's around the corner. It's just my fertility gets tied up sometimes in the weather. So anyways, I don't know if you guys have been experiencing that at all as well. Anywho, let me get to the episode today. Um, This is a really, really great one. Lucy Lines, who is an experienced embryologist turned fertility educator and advocate and the creator of Two Lines Fertility, joins me. We talk all around, you know, uh, criteria you should consider when choosing a fertility clinic, which is like perfectly on topic for me specifically because we have done just that, switched clinics, which I will be speaking more about. We talk about shifting your mindset around lifestyle changes to improve your fertility, you know, why social media and Google can be both beneficial and negative. We go through just so many important topics. Lucy has over 12 years of experience in the fertility field, including 12 years as a clinical embryologist and global customer support embryologist, five years in GP education, and five years working directly with women and couples. She's extremely well-equipped to assist those who are trying to conceive in creating the families they desire and navigating the complexity of assisted conception. It it was just such a pleasure and such an interesting conversation to talk to her because she, you know, is an embryologist, but also is sort of a fertility coach. So it's a really unique combination. I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Lucy. Let me know. I love talking about this sponsor. Twig Fertility has been a huge supporter of day one. Well, since day one, and they are powering up this episode. Twig is located in Midtown Toronto. It's a patient-founded clinic dedicated to providing personalized, inclusive, and compassionate care. Its on-site IVF lab is equipped with state-of-the-art technology and has been designed to help patients achieve the best possible outcomes. Twig is delighted to be accepting new patients for 2023 and has openings for initial consults in February and March. Visit www.twigfertility to join the waitlist. Three years ago, at six months pregnant, we lost our second baby to an undetected external infection, and what followed took us down a path we could never have predicted. 
I was used to getting pregnant quickly and unassisted. The infertility journey came as a surprise. No one talked to me about getting my ovarian reserve tested. No one told me that because I got pregnant easily with my first and my second, it didn't mean that I could expect the same with my third or fourth for that matter. I thought IUIs were a for sure thing. I thought IVF was a one month process and that's, that's just the physical part. All these assumptions were incorrect, but why would I know any better? I'm Emily Getz, a fertility and life mindset coach, founder of Day One, a first-of-its-kind fertility support network, and host of the Day One podcast, a show dedicated to the unspoken side of fertility. Here I share my story and bring together moms, dads, parents-to-be, doctors, specialists, and healers to help break stigmas, normalize the conversation, and bring education to the forefront. My hope is that by listening, you learn how to still be you and go through the infertility trenches and feel part of the day one community so your journey doesn't feel so lonely. Well, Lucy, thank you for waking up at 6.30 in the morning over there in Australia for this episode. <laughs> That's my pleasure. Good morning. Good, good afternoon. <laughs> you know, Fertility is so such a beautiful thing in the sense that it's borderless. It is one of these experiences that regardless where you are in the world, we can all understand the intricacies, we can understand the pain points, and it's sort of beautiful like that. Yeah, it is. It is. And it, it's something you can create a community out of around the entire world. Like it's, It is quite amazing. So based off your experience, there's so many things that we could dive into today. And I thought a beautiful start to the call can be choosing your fertility specialist. I'm just going to make some assumptions in Canada and Australia is that it's obviously not a one size fits all. And I don't think there's ever a clinic or a fertility specialist that's like has everything that you want. There's always like some so based off your work, like where's the best place to start when you're looking and, and where are things that you shouldn't negotiate on? So uh, the, the, the thing that's most likely to have an impact on your outcome is actually the lab, not necessarily the, the, the doctor who's driving stuff. It's actually the lab that are going to be growing your embryos and handling your eggs and your sperm. If the lab is not up, up to scratch, it doesn't matter how good the specialist is or how well you're prepared. So it's really lab specific to start with, but it's very, very difficult to know what questions to ask when you're choosing a lab because a lot of that information isn't necessarily shared. I know in the States they have league tables for success rates in inverted commas, but those success rates don't really tell you anything. They just they, they can manipulate those to tell you whatever they want. So looking for a clinic that um, has a nice big lab, um, they employ more than two or three embryologists, um, so the embryologists get plenty of time off. Those kinds of things are going to be the most important things to look at first. I like to use a lot of analogies when I'm explaining things to people. So it's a little bit like baking an apple pie or a lemon pie. If you want a really nice lemon pie, you want to make sure you've got beautiful lemons to start with and that the uh, recipe and the baker who's going to be making the pie are great. The person who picks the lemons doesn't really matter that much as long as they're good enough to actually get all the lemons and not damage them in the process. Um, the most important bits are how you've looked after the lemon tree and who's making the pie. Ooh, I really, really like that. But, you yeah. know, yes, so so you pick a great lab. 
But yeah. then you are in this rotation in the class yes. and yes. Th- things are not working. And yes. you come to the table with a doctor and you're like, I've researched this, or I feel like I want to change my protocol to this. And they're like, no, it's like, okay, the lab is, seems to be making sure that is a base. But then I think we go one step further, which is when you're kind of interviewing the people that are responsible for your protocol. Yeah. Yeah. Now, please excuse me. We're about to have some really thunderous rain because uh, <laughs> it's Australia and it's sort of springtime and it's going to pour now. I hope that it's not too loud. I love it. Um, I've done my research thing is such a tricky space because fertility is an area that's constantly evolving and constantly there's new stuff coming in and a little bit like the people who camp outside the Apple shop to get their new the new Apple phone as soon as they release it and then the other people are still running you know iPhone 7 when the 14's been released you know neither of these people are wrong and maybe there's going to be a whole lot of problems with the new iPhone 14 that you know, aren't going to be experienced by the other people. So, you know, just because you've read something or you've thought about something and you think it's going to be the right thing for you, you actually need to have a relationship with your specialist that is such that they're in a position to be able to explain to you why that might not be the right thing for you. Just because it's the right thing for Bessie down the street doesn't mean it's going to be the right thing for you. And just because you've read about some amazing new treatment doesn't mean that it's actually that amazing. It could be that the company that produced the new treatment or has the new idea has a really good PR firm and, you know, write really good headlines. Like there's so much business behind the scenes in this fertility space that it's quite upsetting. And, you know, it's really hard to know as a patient where how to navigate that. And so you have to have an element of trust in your specialist that they actually have your best interest at heart. They've spent 13 years at least at university, let alone their years of experience after that. And so it's got to be both of you coming to the table with with ideas and, and plans, not just you feeling like you're doing all the legwork because you're a layperson. Your Google search is never going to match up to their years of experience. Such a good point. I feel like people go in that Google hole is when they lose trust in their doctor and they feel like their doctor is not listening to them. And so they're like going off in their own world, coming to the table. And so, you know, it, it seems like the combination is like feeling like you trust your doctor, you like your doctor, and then the lab is really good. And then what we're finding here in Canada, and I'm not sure if you can relate to this, but obviously there's, I'm, I'm assuming you can, like the demand is higher than then the clinics can handle. So then you're in a position where you're sort of handed a doctor, you know, it's like kind of first come first serve. And then you're like, they picked me. I don't even like this doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you recommend then sort of waiting until you have a doctor that you feel good about, or is there a way to sort of accept the doctor that got lined up? You have one chance at this, maybe two, possibly three, but a smaller window of opportunity. That doctor's going to be working for 20, 30, 40 years doing their thing, churning people through their clinic, and you have just a window of opportunity in which to grow your family. Um, I 
cannot bang on enough about the need for preparation before you start IVF. So getting in early and making an appointment with a fertility specialist that you know and love and trust, or maybe even two or three to help you work out which one you want to see. Meanwhile, alongside that, doing all the preparation work leading into an IVF cycle, rather than going, shit, I need IVF and I need it right now. I'll take whoever's going. You're going to end up having two or three cycles, being really unsatisfied, going down the spiral. It's not going to be beneficial for anyone. Um, Cooling your heels, taking your time to choose the right specialist for you, which won't be the right specialist for your friend or your neighbour or your cousin. It's the right specialist for you and doing all the preparation work. You know, they they might have a three-month wait and that's perfect. Three months is what you need to prepare for an IVF cycle at the very minimum. So um, taking that time to do all those things is going to make a big difference. And when you say the right fit for you, how do you find that out? If there's somebody that's like brand new coming in to people that I work with at times, it's just like the right person is the person that comes first to the earlier point of that being detrimental, but they're like, I don't even know what the right person for me is. So how are there tips or there tricks on that? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I run a service only in Melbourne, Australia, where I match people up with the right specialist. And I have 13 questions on that questionnaire um, that I get them to ask themselves and their partner and really drill down into who they are. And then we talk through that over half an hour conversation. Now, the reason I only offer it in Melbourne is because I'm really across who the specialists all are in Melbourne, Australia. But those questions are really beneficial. You know, they're things like, um, do I have a particular condition? Is it, you know, like, do I already know that we have male factor infertility or PCOS or endometriosis or, you know, some other specific condition? Because there will be a specialist aligned with that condition or a couple. Um, where do I live? Is it going to be easy for me to get to that clinic or that that clinic. Um, I usually start by choosing a clinic first and then drilling down to the specialist within that clinic. Do I like the receptionist? You know, am I going to have an anxiety attack every time I ring the clinic? And that's not going to be beneficial to anything. Um, do I, is it easy to park? Is it going to be really stressful? Is it going to take me three hours to have a 10 minute conversation with them because I can't find a park there? These things seem like they don't matter because I want the best specialist. But actually, when you compound all these things together, it's hugely important and it really, they all impact your experience of that clinic and that doctor. And then once you're actually sitting in front of the doctor, if you feel like they're not listening to you, even in that first consult, you'll know. You know, you walk into a room and you know whether you like someone or not. It's it's gut reaction and you need to listen to that at least in part too. Yeah. So I think what happens is that from the sound of it, it's like all of those things are important when you're picking it. And to not get stuck on just being the first, like to take anything that comes to you. And I think uh, this comes also with the full like education piece of all of this, because people come in so uneducated that um, to, to no fault of anybody's, like we are not in a society that's just taught about this. So I completely understand myself included, like this would legitimately is how I started my own journey that I'm currently still on. But I just thought IVF was a for sure thing. So I just took whatever doctor would take me fast and I just moved into it, no preparation. And so I think we're all trying to educate people on is that your journey is actually going to be longer Yep. if we're not taking the time to make these decisions at the upfront. 
That's right. That's right. And I can't tell you how many clients I've dealt with over the last five years who've had one, two, three cycles, and then they've gone, hold up a minute. I need to understand a whole lot more about this. I thought I could just go in and, you know, rely on people to fix this for me, but I actually need to understand a whole lot more about it, which is entirely why I do what I do. You know, as as a, a clinically experienced and, and trained embryologist, I've worked on the other side, you know, and and we've, you know, women come in, we check their name bands, we do everything and we go, oh, well, they've just got crap air quality or, um, you know, oops, sorry, your embryos didn't grow very nicely. That's to do with something out of our hands. And then over the years, I've gone, you know what, there must be more to this. And and working in all the different aspects of IVF clinics that I have, you know, the, the final position I held within an IVF clinic was in a sales and marketing role within a very large IVF clinic. And looking at their sales funnel, because it's a business and it's a sales funnel of how they get more people to do IVF is exactly that. You know, they have a 1-800 number, ring me and get a 15-minute free consult. The person who's sitting there is is just an admin person who has a list in front of them of who's currently got quite no wait lists. You know, now there's probably a really good reason why those doctors don't have wait lists. Um, maybe because they're actually not very nice. Or, you know, it might be because they're new or they're just back from maternity leave or, you know, there might be some really valid reasons. But the person you ring when you ring that 1-800 number, they might be a nurse maybe, and you get 10 minutes. And that person's role is to funnel you in to see a doctor straight away. And that's part of these businesses' sales funnels. And their sales funnels are about getting more cycles of IVF so that they can pay their shareholders their dividends, you know. And within that sit some lovely doctors and some really nice, passionate nurses and scientists and doctors. But in between all of them are all these business people. And as a consumer, which is what you are, you, you know, you're a patient, but you're also a consumer, you need to be really clued in about your role and the things that you can control and the things that you need other people to control and how you can marry the two things together. So what are the things in your opinion that a patient can control and what are things that the doctor or the clinic can control? Um, so as a patient, you're responsible for your raw materials. Your eggs and sperm are totally in your control. How they get stimulated and collected, that's in the doctor's control. And in the lab's control is what happens to them once they're in the lab. And, you know, when when things don't work, we tend to point fingers at the doctor or at the lab or at some new protocol or new stimulation or new drug that you need to add, 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 add. And I actually think you need to take away, take away, take away, take away and go back a step and go, hold on a minute, we can't make beautiful purses out of sales ears. It doesn't matter how good the doctor is at collecting the eggs and stimulating the ovaries and how good the lab is at making embryos if the eggs in the first place are bit shit or if the sperm are a bit shit so you know we as patients have a massive responsibility to actually put in the work to make sure that when those eggs and sperm are being used for a cycle of IVF that they're the best quality that can possibly be and that doesn't mean you need to go completely you know military on yourself and change your life lots of people get pregnant without doing anything but this is to do with the long-term health of yourself your future children, your parenting abilities, all of these lifestyle changes that you make are whole of life stuff. It's not just I'm doing this for my egg collection. It's I'm doing this 
for my mental health and my well-being and my physical health and I'm going to be a better person because of this, whether it works or not. You know, Sean Bob, who's an embryologist on on Instagram that I see, I don't know what his real name is, um, he's in the state somewhere, um, he did a post just yesterday about, you know, this preconception lifestyle changes and health aspects that we talk about all the time are actually whole-of-life stuff. This is stuff everyone should know and we should be doing it for, for everything not just for fertility. Oh, I, I just, I'm like speechless in a, in a way, because it's like, these are the things that you don't want to hear in a way. Like you just want to hear that all the doctors in the labs and the science are just going to figure it out for me. But also I think, and, and I'm saying this from my own personal experience, I'm like, is eating right? Is taking my supplements? Is all this really going to help with my egg quality? Like maybe my egg quality is just shit. And I'm doing all of this and changing all of this for nothing. And as soon as I changed my intention behind my lifestyle change, it, I was able to do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe, I- maybe your egg quality is just shit. There's no way we're going to know. Maybe it is. But imagine getting to 45 or 50 where fertility is not a thing anymore and looking back and thinking, I wonder if that would have gone differently had I made those changes that everyone was suggesting. And at least if you make the changes and then you have a cycle and it's still shit, you go, okay, well, you know, I'm comfortable that I did everything that I could and that was just where I was at. But if you don't do it, you'll always wonder. And and I don't mean, as I said, I don't want people to go military and change their lives completely and and hate their life and feel like they're doing all these things and they, they've got this burden on them and it's not fair because I have to do all these things. And, and you know, Sarah down on the corner there who's a heroin addict and, and 17, she's up to her third child and why the hell is this fair? We're still going to have those thoughts, obviously. Of course we have those thoughts. But I'm not doing this just for now until my cycle. I need to make changes that I can make consistently forever. So, you know, these, these are not changes that that I'm doing for the next three weeks or six weeks. They need to be changes that you slowly integrate into your life so that after 12 months you go, shit, I'm living a completely different life than I was living 12 months ago. And I mean, I can't tell you how many clients I've had over the last five years that have made subtle changes to their lifestyle and conceived naturally after two or three cycles of IVF. Now, this just pisses people off. It really just annoys people because you're like, well, hang on a minute. Why the hell didn't that work? And now you know, you're telling me that little change made that difference? I don't know. I'm not telling you anything. I'm telling you that if you make these changes, amazing things will happen and it might be that you sleep better and life is easier or it might be that you, you know, I don't know, go through menopause more easily in 20 years' time or, or it could be all sorts of fantastic outcomes. Um, but it might also be that you, that you can see and that's freaking awesome. Often, you know, my listeners will understand because I say this all the time, but it's like I always say like let fertility be the gateway to a better life. Like, you know, become better from this. Like it's shit. You could look at it as shit and it is shit and it's hard and we don't want to be here, but we're here. Yeah. So why not use this to eat better, to work out, to like live a healthier life? Like at least have it do that for us, you know? Yeah. 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 Get something out of this and hopefully it'll be a baby. Um, But, you know, I mean, I bang on about the toxin stuff all the time. And the more you learn about endocrine disrupting chemicals, the more you just, 
you know, I go through the supermarket now and I look at other people's trolleys and I'm like, oh, shit, people still buy that crap. God, I forgot because I'm so far down the journey myself that it's hard not to tap people on the shoulder in the supermarket and go, excuse me, do you know that shit's killing you? Like people just don't know stuff because we're not educated this stuff because the companies that make them are so big and such amazing businesses with, you know, amazing PR firms that that we, we're just not informed about this kind of stuff. So gathering all that information is definitely going to make your life better and hopefully it's going to mean that your air quality is improved and hopefully it's going to mean that you end up with a baby. What do you think those like, you know, if someone tapped you on the shoulder and was like, three lifestyle changes to make for, you know, better quality, sperm quality. Do you, do you have an answer on that or do you think it's more holistic? I I find those really (laughs) frustrating. I see them and I'm like, I know what you're doing because that you know that they're, they're just bringing people into to their stuff and that's that's great you know we we're all running businesses of sorts and that's how we do it these days that's how you need to do it but there's a whole lot to it and unfortunately what those kinds of posts mean you know here's five things to do for this here's two things to do that they they they're great in an in individually you go okay well there's three yeah I can do those three things but when you're doing a scroll and you get served up 20 of them in 10 minutes it gets really overwhelming and you think hang on a minute I'm sure three scrolls back I saw someone saying I couldn't do that and now I see and I can and oh god I don't know what to do and and people get very overwhelmed or on the flip side, they try and do all of it. And then they're like, I can't sustain this. This is shit. If this is not going to work, I'm just going to eat chips and chocolate and lie on the sofa for the rest of my life. And so neither of those things are good. And so I love social media, but I also really hate it because it does just add to the overwhelm. It shows people that there's a whole lot more that they could be doing, but it just really adds to the overwhelm. And 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 I guess that's why I created the programs that I created because I want people to step away from that social media for a minute and stop trying to manage it all themselves and step into a space where they feel confident that they're getting the right information, it's varied enough and confident enough in themselves that they're doing everything that they can, not everything that can be done but everything that works into their lifestyle, everything that they can do and they're getting the right information to support that. You know, it's like I say to my clients all the time, it's too, it's like, you can't compare in this. You act, you actually can't. Like, if you look at it, we all have different fingerprints and you can't compare my fingerprint to your fingerprint. And the problem I find in social media and fertility, and I even struggle when I share my own story, because the reason I've been sharing my story on social is just to expose like what it's really like, but the danger with that is that people then say, well, I have a low AMH. I should be doing that too. And it's actually never apples to apples ever, not like nothing. And so that I guess is why it's important to be doing the blood work, to be working with a naturopath, right? That's like doing a personalized plan based off all that testing that's coming in for you versus, you know, the, I mean, I still, obviously the Mediterranean diet include not to include it, but to your point, those are things you should be considering doing as a human. Yes, that's right. That's right. And, and I guess, you know, yeah, you need to find answers to your own specific situation yeah. and, and looking in, I mean, the, the, the Facebook groups are the ones that get me, you know, um, and I'm not in a lot of them because they don't let you in if you're not actually currently trying. And I can't lie because it's, just an impossibility <laughs> for me. But 
they say, you know, oh, I've got my AMH came back and it was 2.9. Tell me your experiences of AMH of 2.9. Now, AMH is measured in, I don't know, two or three different ways. Some people have a number of 25 and other people have a number of 13 and other people have a number of 2.9 and they're on different scales. They're not even comparable because they're measured by different labs. And also the way that the blood is taken, how it's stored and how long it takes before it gets measured and which lab is measuring it. All of these things impact that outcome. So 2.9 is actually no different to 3.5, which is no different to 2.1. Like these, they're all sort of roughly the same and they basically mean this, but it's not an absolute. And again, you know, putting up a post saying my my AMH was 2.9, tell me what you did to get pregnant, um, is not going to give you a roadmap to how you're going to get pregnant because maybe you actually don't have any tubes or maybe your husband has zero morphologically normal sperm or maybe your donor, you know, like you just don't know. There's too many variables and you can't possibly correct for all of them in your own Google or social media search. And even a lot of holistic doctors and functional medicine practitioners and and naturopaths, even they can't manage that. You know, naturopathy is unregulated. Um, I could put a sign up out the front of my house and say that I was a fertility naturopath and sell you some parsley from my backyard and do some blood tests and look at the results going, "Mm, mm, yes, very sage, and and charge you three times what I charge and have absolutely nothing to back it up with. So saying, yes, people need to see a naturopath, you need to see so a couple of specific ones who are actually going to be able to help you, not just a random person from the, you know, there's, ah, it's overwhelming. It's too hard for people because there are too many things that they need to manage, which is why, you know, people like us exist because, you know, we, we can try and help you work that out. And, and you're one person on your journey and I have, you know, 60, 100, 200 people under my belt after the last couple of years and I've watched all of them and I've got feedback from them about who's good here and who's good there and who, you know, so all of those things help. Yeah, it's like, you know, we don't really actually have somebody that does what you do in Canada, which is so interesting. I feel Canada is a bit behind in (laughs) like we do we like to see what everyone else in the world is doing and then we decide that we're gonna do it but like you know I'm just gonna interrupt you Emily there isn't I'm actually the only person I know doing what I'm doing so um there's a girl in the UK I think doing a little bit of it yeah Um, and there's I kind of think that's it as far as qualified and clinically qualified and clinically experienced I agree I agree I've spoken to people that like say they do it because of their like history themselves, but anyway, their own lived experience. Yeah. Yes. But needless to say, like, I'm like, come over to Canada. <laughs> I have quite a few Canadian clients. I have lots you of people do. that I see. Yeah. Yeah. I oh. see people from all over the world. Guys, we're, you're going to get a wait list. Let me tell you that. <laughs> and this is the thing. It's like, you know, you really invest in something blindly. It's like one of the only things I think the desire is so high. Your knowledge is so low. You're completely overwhelmed. And it's such a privileged experience. And it's in it's, you it's really, a lot. Yeah. And you can really play the like, I'm not doing enough. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And so for the people listening today that, you know, might not be privileged to work with you or any, you know, have that type of support what are some prepping, like best ways that they can prep with what they kind of know or 
Yeah, look, that's such a hard question. And it really depends where you're up to in your journey. So if you're just starting out and you feel like everyone else is getting pregnant and you're not, and maybe there's something wrong, um, then grab yourself well, obviously my ebook, of course I'm going to say that, but there's probably a few others out there that um, mine is called Preparing for Conception. And that one is a really good foundation to start from to start thinking about all the different things that are in your control. So that's a really good spot. If, you, if you're sort of at the point where you think IVF is, is likely to be next, I firstly want to say less than 50% of people who get a referral to a fertility specialist end up having IVF. And um, there are lots of things that that fertility specialist can do. So getting that first line of information from a fertility specialist is really important. Um, so go and see someone and get as much information from them as you can. It's information gathering. You know, what is wrong with me? What Not what is wrong with me, but what's going wrong with this situation? Where's the hurdle to our fertility? And what can we do about it? Um, do we try and jump it? Um, and obviously the doctor is going to come up with lots of ways to jump it by doing all sorts of invasive treatments or um, how can we reduce it? And that's where, you know, a naturopath or, a, you know, someone else is going to come in with, with ways that you might be able to reduce that hurdle if you can find it. If it looks more likely that IVF is on the cards, you know, my IVF WTF program is 11 hours of information that I couldn't possibly cover in a, in a, in a podcast. Um, I'd love to, but there's just no way that I could. And, and in there is all of the preparing stuff, all of the explainers about what's actually happening in IVF, the stuff we should be taught probably at school, but we wouldn't take it in at school because we don't think it applies to us and we wouldn't take it in until it does apply to us. But what's actually an egg collection? What's an embryo transfer? How do they do it? How do the embryos grow? How do they grow them? They're so tiny. Like what are they, you know, all of that stuff so that um, you can use that information as a foundation from which to jump with questions from your doctor. So you're not asking the questions from here. You can't see my hands moving, but, you know, from, from ground level up to, to baseline, you, you, you're from a, a different kind of level moving up. So it gives you a foundation from which to jump with questions to ask because that's what people ask me all the time what questions should I be asking I'm like well I don't know what do you know like whereas this brings people up to a level that they can then jump from oh this is amazing such good resources I'm this conversation has been like I'm like I want to sit here for 20 more hours to talk (laughs) and pick your brain and everything like that and I I think that, you know, what my biggest takeaway, just like getting to be in your energy today is like really preparing, like really educating and preparing is going to shorten your journey. Like, absolutely. I know that patience is like the hardest, one of the hardest hurdles I actually think that's in this is the timeline is just such a hard one to get over because usually people that are, you know, listening or meeting you or meeting me, they've done years of trying on their own. So, you know, they're ready now. (laughs) They're ready yesterday. Um, What advice do you give your clients for, for people that are just hooked in on time? especially women who feel like they're they're internal. Whether your child's child's birthday is in April or August isn't going to matter in the long run. In 10 years' time, when your 10-year-old's having a birthday party, it doesn't matter whether it's April or August, but it might make all the difference to whether there's a birthday at all. 
So, you know, three months ago versus three months from now, think of something, you know, last Christmas wasn't that long, doesn't feel that far away, but it was actually 11 months ago. Um, There was a heap of data produced in 2020 when lots of IVF clinics um, stopped for the pandemic, obviously, and they would, no one was having IVF. Um, In Melbourne, there was a period of uh, possibly even three months where where no IVF was allowed. Um, And a heap of data came out of that. And the data all said that delaying for two, two, three, even sometimes up to four months, did not have a detrimental impact on outcomes. In fact, for those who spent that time preparing, it had a positive outcome. So cool your heels for a minute. You're not wasting time. You are gathering all the information that you need to make informed decisions about your treatment to make sure you've lined all your ducks up in a row so that it's much easier to deal with at the other end if things don't work. You won't look back and go, I wonder what would have happened if I had dot, dot, dot. That is just, oh, that's so good. That's so good. I was going to ask you. You're going to use it now, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, don't worry, I'll credit you. Um, (laughs) I was going to ask you my final question, but I kind of think you just did. But so maybe I'm sure you'll have another brilliant response. What advice would you give somebody starting day one of their fertility journey? Gather the information. Gather as much information as you can, but make sure that you are nourishing your brain with useful information, not just feeding it junk food. Um, Gather your information from reputable sources. Don't rely on social media for your fertility guidance and support. You know, if you're day one today, you're probably feeling a bit flat and miserable. Go and eat some chips and chocolate for today. And then tomorrow, make it make a point to make this cycle different and contact someone who can guide and support you. And even if you have two sessions with them and then you're pregnant, you go, awesome, well, that might have happened anyway. Who knows? But um, at least if it doesn't happen, you'll be on the pathway to having better support and, and you know, hopefully a better outcome brilliant <laughs> where can people find you and how can people work uh, so mostly i hang out on instagram but my website is um two lines fertility t-w-o-l-i-n-e-s fertility that's because my surname is lines and i finally at the end of all of my journey ended up with two children so we are two lines fertility also obviously the two lines I love it test. pretty good yeah. so you'll find me two lines fertility.com.au don't forget the au on the end because that means that I'm in Australia. Um, hang out on Instagram at Two Lines Fertility a lot. I also have a little sub business that I don't do a lot with, but I do some with called Future Fertility Safe, which is about helping people who've had a fertility journey to raise their children in a fertile way so that hopefully our children don't have to have the same problems that we had. Ooh, nailed it. Sounds amazing. And are you taking clients now? How do people work with you? So I am currently taking clients, um, although there was usually a bit of a lull between December and January with Christmas and obviously it's summer in Australia. So um, jump on my website, book a discovery call, let's have a chat and see what we can work out. Intake um, for my IVF WTF program will open again in the new year. That's currently full, but will open again in the new year. It opens four times a year and is just the most amazing program for anyone having IVF. I recently received a European Fertility Society Award for Best Fertility Service. So jump on and have a look at that and be ready when intake opens again in um, February for that one. Can you just give us a quick rundown on what that is? 
IVF WTF, it's exactly what it says it is. You know, you find out you're doing IVF and you go, what the? So in there is um, video explainers for every stage of an IVF cycle from me as a clinical embryologist. Um, there's preparation information about how to prepare your mind, how to prepare your body for an IVF cycle. There's explainers about the two-week wait. There's an implantation foods to eat during the two-week wait e-guide from um, Stephanie Valakas, the dietologist. Um, she's an online fertility dietitian. There's meditations in there from Robin Birkin, who's a, a mindset coach um there's a sleep workshop in there there's eft tapping from sarah holland who's the fertility coach who won best fertility coach at the european fertility society awards there's a habit hack coach and then there's three live q a sessions with me for each intake um so that they usually go for an hour but they go for as long as you need to a private facebook community to ask um your questions which is just the cohort that was in the intake that you were in so it's it, it is quite literally everything you need to gather the information and, and arm yourself with, with all of that information and support through a cycle wow, of IVF. Wow, wow. And how much is that? So the total retail price is $9.97 Australian and you have full access to everything for life So oh, and any updates. So you buy it once and then you just keep it and you can, you know, any time I update it, you get all of that as well. I am, I am no doubt I'm going to check out and, uh, although I'm, I'm not new to IVF, so. <laughs> oh, well, there are people in there who've, who've done three and four and five cycles of IVF who, who send me I'm messages sure. going, going, I had no idea. Well, and I, I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I got my friends from Cook who are a company that make uh, egg collection needles and embryo transfer catheters and stuff to send me a box of goodies and and I go through what what an egg collection needle looks like and what an embryo transfer catheter looks like and ICSI pipettes and how they actually do it and what does it mean when they ring you and say three were mature and we could only inject one of them or um, you know what are they talking about and what's the difference between implantation and and fertilization and you know transfer embryo transfer and implantation people get mixed up all the time and you know, all the different things all the different words it's, it's a whole new world it's a whole new language and so I do have lots of people in there who are IVF veterans who just come for the support and they learn a whole lot and they go shit I had no idea about all that stuff and I love it you know this, this has helped me put everything in perspective so it's unbelievable. I thank you so much for waking up so early and for your time okay. and all this fun knowledge. And um, I hope to have you on the podcast again. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me, Emily. It's lovely. Thank you.